Now, I'm quite interested in helping people make better bets and mm. helping people think in the present and the future right. about how they can be mindful about what mm. they commit themselves to. Hey everybody, uh, welcome to yet another episode of the Undefeated Underdogs podcast. I'm your host, Sharad. Today I have like a very special guest who I admire a lot uh, as a founder and I've learned a ton from his newsletter, from his podcast and just his tweets, you know. He's none other than Justin Jackson, uh, the founder of uh, Transistor.fm. Justin, thanks for taking time. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. It's fun to be here. I was telling you earlier, I've listened to a few episodes of the podcast. I'm really enjoying it. Thank you. I appreciate your time. For folks who doesn't know Justin, uh, let me give give you guys like a brief intro. Uh, Justin is a veteran entrepreneur, founder, podcaster, blogger, and he's a, he's a dad of four, which I want to cover later in the episode. And <laughs> a phenomenal community builder. I love I love the way you build Mega Maker. By the way, uh, he he runs the bootstrapper uh, community called Mega Maker. He hosts a podcast called Build Your Sauce and writes about bootstrapping, uh, you know, in his newsletter, which he covers about mindfulness, meditation, habits, you know, many other things. So Justin is, in short, is a jack of all trades. And I'm so glad uh, to have you, Justin. I do have like some notes I've prepared for you, but uh, right nice. off the bat, I want to I wanna dive into your... Uh, your origin story. Let's go back to your, I think, 20s, I guess. I, I sure. read somewhere when I was doing research on you that you started as a founder of a brick and mortar snowboarding uh, uh, shop, I guess, if I'm not wrong. So yeah. tell me about it. Yeah. Yeah. And then after I graduated from college, I took business in college and I did my practicum, my internship at a snowboard manufacturing company. Uh, they manufactured snowboards and skateboards mm -hmm. in Alberta, Canada called Olive. And oh. I was there for, I think, about a year. Mm -hmm. And then uh, went back to university to finish my degree in business. Mm -hmm. And after I was done, I was working in the nonprofit sector. Mm -hmm. But I had always dreamed of running my own shop. And right. part of this was because I grew up in a small town. And, <laughs> you know, when you grow up in a small town, the the only kind of entrepreneurialism you can see around you are people right. who own shops on Main Street. Right. And then working in the snowboard and skateboard industry on the manufacturing side, I was always interacting with shop owners. Mm -hmm. And just as a snowboarder myself in high school, it's kind of every kid's dream to run your own shop. It just seems, right. you know, to be the coolest. So <laughs> uh, I started it with my friend, Adrian, and um, nice. we were both working other jobs at the time. And we hired mm. my brother to manage it originally. And then right. Adrian later managed it. And uh, it was interesting. It, it, it was, uh, I think I learned a lot through that right. process. Mm -hmm. Um you know, one was that I wasn't full-time focused on it. Mm. I was working in the nonprofit profit sector and would kind of do shop stuff on the side. Mm. 
Mm -hmm. But this was kind of the beginning of me learning about how the market actually, everything that's encapsulated in a market kind of determines how your journey is going to go, how much momentum there is in the market, the dynamics Mm. of that market. And so, uh, you know, running a small snowboard skateboard shop in a small town, you've got market size issues, Mm -hmm. you've got profit margin issues, you've Mm -hmm. got all of the logistics and Mm. difficulties of running a brick and mortar company. Um, And so the, the net result of that was when we closed the shop when I was 25. So I think maybe five years later or something, Mm -hmm. uh, we had lost quite a bit of money. I I think it was about $80,000. Wow. And as, and as someone in their early twenties, that, that was just, it was an expensive lesson uh, to learn. And, um, which made when I got into the software industry later, so that was Mm. 2005, I got into the software industry in 2008. Right. I could not believe how much simpler it was (laughs) and how much better the margins were. Right. It was just uh, not simple in terms of like, it's easy to start a profitable company, but simple in terms of just the logistics. You don't have to order inventory. You don't have to worry as much about cash flow. You don't have to hire as many people. You don't have to deal with all of these things. Theft. uh, (laughs) It it, it was just a simpler business to run. And, um, you know, I was my, my boss, my first software boss um, Mm -hmm. was kind enough to kind of show me the ropes and show Mm -hmm. me the profit margins in software. And I like the profit margins in in like retail, mm. if you're lucky, you you buy a t-shirt for $15 and you sell it for 30. Right. Uh, those are your variable costs. That's if you're lucky. Mm-hmm. A lot of stuff is like 30% margins. Mm-hmm. But the overall costs of running that business, the, the, the lease, the fixtures, mm. the lighting, yep. the electricity, the employees, the yeah. theft, everything. It's, uh, you know, SaaS margins are like 80% uh, plus, <laughs> of course, yeah. you know, it's, it was just blew my mind when I saw that. So it's right. nice having the juxtaposition <laughs> to get that <laughs> out of my system early and to have the juxtaposition now, uh, right. or back in 2008 of seeing like, wow, this is quite a <laughs> bit different. Right. And, and also that, and coming from the nonprofit sector, See, like mm. we worked so hard in the nonprofit mm. sector, just very, mm-hmm. very hard, put in so many hours mm. and um, working for the software company felt, definitely felt like um, easier. It wasn't <laughs> as much yep. uh, just kind of grind, you know? Right. So yeah, both of those things together, I think... Um, Right. Well, I kind of got woken up to the software industry in 2008 and, and having those experiences, working in nonprofits, working in retail, um, it just like hmm. it, the juxtaposition was so clear. Yeah. I, I mean, it, I think every experience counts, you know, that's what I believe in. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't matter. It, it doesn't depends on the outcomes. It depends purely on how you went from A to Z and what you've learned and kind of what you realized from 
from that experience. Mm-hmm. That's what really matters mostly. And that's right. It might it might be a costly mistake, you know, what costly affair, which you said like the eighty thousand mm-hmm. dollars at twenty five years is like a you know a bigger thing. It feels like millions at that time. But I mm-hmm. feel turning back, I feel uh, the lessons you've learned and the, the the moves you made, you know, now is much more wiser. You you became wiser, you became smarter and whatnot. And uh, funny, funny mm-hmm. enough, you said that I, I really appreciate you actually acknowledging it. Uh, the fact that you failed and you turned into something like a sauce and you actually like you are becoming successful here uh, as a founder. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate the uh, transparency and, you know, like you said, uh, it's I, I never dealt with brick and mortar, but I can actually kind of imagine the the the, the stress, the pressure, uh, the quality check of the product. You know, sometimes it can comes broken and you know whatnot. So, uh, kudos mm-hmm. to you, you for navigating from you know uh, there. Yeah, to here. I think I think you're right that when we're looking back on experiences that we've made it through. The the only thing we can really do is just be at peace with them and go, okay, mm-hmm. what did I learn and how am I going to act in the present? Right. There is a danger though in the present looking forward. I think we mm. do want to be mindful about the kinds of risks we take and the kind of bets we make because mm-hmm. I made it through, but it's, it's, it's quite possible that, um, uh, it's quite possible that I I I might not have, mm. and um, yep. in some ways there's some survivor bias here in that I I made it through that. But there, there's a risk with anything you commit yourself to right. that you're going to burn out or get mm-hmm. crushed by it. Right. And in that case, you know that was eighty thousand dollars, and it just happened that we were in an up housing market, so I was able to remortgage my house, right. and which wasn't fun. But mm-hmm. I had the means to, you know, come up with some money. And right. then I got lucky again. I got this job offer from a software company and I was mm. able to work my way up in there. There's just some a series of fortunate events that happened mm. as well right. that helped uh, kind of um, that helped me uh, make up <laughs> for the bad bet that I'd made, you know. Right. Yeah. And I'm I'm. You know, right. And yeah. Um, yeah. I think I think you're right. You're right on that front. Uh, I would I would like to add like a like a two cents of mine, which is you know I I failed. I, I also like uh, not 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 a eighty thousand dollar failure, but <laughs> uh, I did like build a a B two B business, which I am not a customer of and not my problem. Mm-hmm. Like burned my hands. I was like just like getting a job in the US. I came from India. And I spent like meet with with a friend sixteen thousand dollars. We mm-hmm. we outsourced everything because we were a bunch of non technical guys. But we have this ambition of building something. We failed miserably. Uh, mm-hmm. To add to that point, which you said, you have to make a calculated uh, bet from the lessons you've learned. On top of it, mm-hmm. I think those who have the ambition and the drive to do something, even though they failed. Those are the people I think uh, move forward, and in this case, mm-hmm. you actually moved forward because you wanted to do something in life. You know, it, it's yeah. not like the end. So I, I truly believe yeah. in your best is yet to come. It's always yet to come. 
now what you yeah. do right now is it's 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 in work in progress but it's not your best your best is like you know is in the future so i try yeah. to chase that more uh when i do projects or take up like you know any any ideas i tend to think like yeah you know what what i can what can i do better from my past experiences number one number two is yeah this is not my best shot my best shot is like you know it's still there so yeah. it, that kind of eases me out <laughs> I I like that. I like that. I I think having an orientation um where you're kind of positive about the future is is good and an orientation where you're willing to keep trying things and keep being in motion. Mm. So I think this idea of um being in motion, trying things out, almost all my friends who have been successful in the software business were doing they were in the midst of doing something else when right. the idea for the business that worked came about so exactly. my buddy adam wathen was like he was building a saas app publicly mm. and he's live coding it and people in the comments just keep asking about how he's writing css and right. eventually he's like well i'll just you know create something that helps help people write css the way i do and that became mm. tailwind and now mm. tailwind is is possibly wow. the most successful yep. one of the most successful indie projects ever it's it's right. wildly profitable but yep. he found that idea while he was in the midst of doing something else he was in motion mm. um, right. and there was lots of things that he was trying Correct. that you know didn't work out quote unquote yep but um the idea is to be in motion with an orientation towards yeah i'm just like experimenting trying things out not right. over leveraging myself not over risking myself mm. um you know taking appropriate steps each step mm. of the way to you know uh, determine what's next right uh the uh the there's a quote from richard branson Mm-hmm. where he talks about how he figures out what to do next and he talks about it like dipping his toe in the water and seeing how it feels mm. if it feels good he goes in a bit deeper if it feels not good he gets out mm. and there is that one thing i do see some people do is they come up with an idea and then they just commit too much to it right it's it's like they're they they're like no this is the idea that's going to work for me Right. And, uh, you know, we see these folks all the time. The The person in your town who's been running that st- business on Main Street <laughs> forever, it's not making money, but they're just so invested in it. They can't get right. out of it. Right. And um, we don't want to do that. We want to yep. be in motion, be trying things out, not mm. risk what, you know, make appropriate risks right. and and, you know, just keep searching for the thing that gets the big response Correct. um and i i also i i also just want to temper one thing you said which is i think it's good to be positive mm-hmm. about the present and the future but i think we also need to be realistic Absolutely. and and the the sometimes i even get pushback about this like people get upset when I introduce any idea of like being 
bringing some realism into mm. the process, mm -hmm. but just being realistic. You know, when I opened that skateboard snowboard shop, like being realistic about how many people really are here mm. with money to spend and what are they doing already? And it turns right. out they were just going to the big city 20 minutes away. Right. So if that's, if that's what's happening, I need to be realistic about that. Right. And there, too much magical thinking, too much like, right. um, you know, I'm, I'm going to harness this Steve Jobs energy and, and just like <laughs> bend the universe to my will. Bend the reality. It's not, it's not healthy. You, you need right. to have some realism. And oh, yes. uh, I think it's easy for us to delude right. ourselves. Absolutely. And um, that's why we need good partners. That's why we need, you know, mm -hmm. uh, accountability groups. That's why yeah. we need people who are willing to call out our bullshit and say, hey, <laughs> I'm glad you're positive about this idea. I'm glad you're trying right. it out. I'm glad you're experimenting. But right. here's let's look at how realistic this is. Exactly. And, and be very clear about that. Yeah, it, it boils down to a lot of... Uh, a lot of qualities like self-awareness, what we're doing, what we're dealing, where we are, you know, mm -hmm. uh, how risk, how risk assessment and all that. It's, it's more of like, I think that's why I really admire founders who are self-aware of what their situations and yet they want to take a chance, you know, move forward. Yeah. Take a step. Yes. And, 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 and self-awareness, it's one quality. The other important quality is actually like, keeping your expectations low. Like, you know, the next thing you do is not the next big thing. That's why you should have a lot of fun, like ultimate fun, have, have the joy of enjoying the process going from A to B mm -hmm. to C to D. That's it. Like Z is this goal, which is like, which is a bubble in my opinion, which can, mm -hmm. can achievable or can be like, you know, can, can, can it get into a burst. So yeah, ha having that self-awareness with kind of like, you know, having zero expectations is, is something like a balance of founders. A lot of founders should do, you know, and, and to your point, it brings, uh, it brings, it actually brings the best of it. That's it. That's the equation or the formula. Uh, maybe, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think I like that too. Uh, although on the other hand, see so many of these ideas are held in tension. So, it's true that having um, keeping your expectations reasonable, like, oh, you know, when we started Transistor, mm -hmm. John and I were like, this might not work. Mm. This might not make any money. This might right. hit $1,000 in recurring revenue and then stop. Right. This could all be gone tomorrow. We, we, we say that all yeah. the time. So that's true. It's good to have low expectations. And then as things progress, it's like, oh, wow, this is better than what we thought. That's, <laughs> that's great. But on the other hand, it's also good to have, um, it's also good to seek what you want. Mm. So um, it, it's, a, it's an odd tension because when we were starting Transistor, I was trying to keep my expectations low of, mm. you know, I, who knows? This might work. It might not. But on the right. other hand, there was definitely something that I was seeking that I wanted. Mm. I wanted financial freedom. I wanted right. to build something that was high quality that many people used. I wanted right. to uh, 
you know, for John and I to build a company that gave us a better life. So you're kind of holding all of these ideas in tension with the other thing. And Mm. part of it is timing. Oh yeah. The (laughs) right advice at the wrong time is, is wrong advice or something like that. Yep. yep. Um, I think, I think uh, that, and and so many startup truisms are like that, you know, Mm. it's, it's like you can give people advice and say, well, keep your expectations low, but maybe for the timing of where they're at, they actually need to be expecting more from their ideas. Mm. And, mm. Um, and you know, maybe expecting more from an idea might mean, you know what, I've been doing this for two years and it has not met the bar for what I needed or wanted. And so mm. now I need to get out of here, right? Right, um, right. I need to stop keeping my expectations low. I need to raise my expectations so that right. I can uh, get rid of, uh, get uh, eject out of this this bad idea. Yeah, yeah absolutely true. So you, you've touched on a very, uh, really interesting point, which is uh, you have to seek, you have to talk to the universe in a way. You have to like put mm-hmm. your intentions out. You have to manifest. That's all like, that's what I, I'm hearing from you. Uh, that's, in the last like, couple minutes. I mean, I wouldn't you... put it that way, but, but, uh, I, I understand the idea. It, I, I mean, I, that might be a little too woo for me. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think if, if by manifest, we mean we're just engaging in a process where we're seeking out something that we want and mm-hmm. we're going through a process of being in motion to keep right. trying things, iterate, find, right you know, the opportunities that are a good fit for us and for what we want, then yeah, I think that's, um, yep. that's the path. That's what, yeah. I, that's what I meant. So, uh, okay. So let's go back to Canada. You burned $80,000 <laughs> shops close. You're done. Wrap it up. Yeah. At that time, what were you seeking and what led you to join a, a software, uh, startup? You know, that's what, you know, that's like your next in 2005 yeah. to 2008 what, yeah, what was in a, your mind i mean for most of my life um because we had kids so young we mm. had our daughter when we were 22 the most immediate thing was i just need to provide for this family um mm. and Ben Ornstein jokes about, he says, uh, he says, I was living life on hard mode and it's, it's true. <laughs> um, right. uh, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even necessarily, I, I wouldn't recommend this path for other people um, because um, it just, and, you know, from the moment we had our daughter, I realized that, you know, uh, making $36,000 a year working for a nonprofit was not going to be enough. Mm. money to to survive Mm. and um so a lot of my seeking in all of these years was um two things purpose Mm. you know how how can i have work and do engage in activities that give me a sense of purpose Mm -hmm. but then the second one was how can i make enough money enough money for my family Mm. and uh, for a lot of years, it was just how can I make enough money to for us to be, uh, you know, treading water, 
Like, how can right. we just raise, raise the income so we're paying most of our bills? Mm-hmm. Um, and then once I hit that, then it was, you know, how can um, we not just have, uh, you know, enough to merely survive, but how can we have some enough money to thrive and, right. um, you right. know, to live the best possible life we can? And so I think that's actually between purpose and having enough money to mm. survive and thrive. Um, I think that's led a lot of, mm. you know, my seeking, right? Like I got a big raise when I started working in the software business. Mm. Um, I uh, got a much, I was working so many hours before like mm. 60 to 80 hours a week when I was working wow. in nonprofits and then to go to a software job where it was like, uh, eight hours a day, but we got an hour, hour for lunch, you know, <laughs> and it just started at nine and it ended at five. And then there was right. an hour long lunch break in the middle. Right. That was, you know, so yeah, I, I think those, I, it's actually three things. It's a sense of purpose in my work that this idea that I'm contributing to the world in some sort of meaningful way, mm-hmm. uh, financial, just making yeah. enough money for the family to survive and thrive. And third, um, uh, now I lost it. The You're third talking about was time, the luxury the, of, uh, is it? Yeah. The third was to maybe, um, oh yeah. The third was just to have a better life for myself, you know, to mm. have more, more peace, more time, more calm, more margin mm. in my life. Right. Um, Being more mindful because, in a way. Yeah. And, and, or just even having more, having the space to be mindful. Mm. Like when, when you've got four kids and you're working 60 to 80 (laughs) hours a week, you just have no margin in your life to be anything, to be mindful, to, to have peace, to have calm. So yeah, yeah, that was what I was seeking for sure. Let's, I think let's, let's go a little deeper on, on this topic, which I, one of the questions I have, uh, you're also very big on, you know, mental health, being mindful, mm-hmm. you a lot about, a lot about that in your newsletter, mm-hmm. uh, quite at times. So how, how are you managing, you know, I, I, from 60, 80 hour week to what you're doing right now, even now you, I assume work really, really hard. It's not, you know, it's not easy to maintain a podcast and a newsletter and uh, running a company like Transistor. What, I don't work as hard. Now, I don't work as hard now. It, wait, wait. That's, that, that's one of the big changes is that, and this, this is something that, it's one reason I'm so excited about indie businesses hmm. because uh, my friends who are in the startup world or my friends who are in the tech, corporate tech world, Mm-hmm. Um, they're to, to earn more money, they need to mm-hmm. make this awful trade, which is right. they need to work harder. They need to have more stress. They need to spend more hours at the office. They need to give up more. They need to sacrifice more. Right. I think it does take hard work and sacrifice to mm-hmm. of course. achieve good things. But at the, the, for John and I, the aim was eventually we want to get to a point, not where, not a point where we become complacent or lazy, but a point where we just have tons of margin. Mm. And um, 
you know, there are people working in agriculture jobs, picking mm-hmm. strawberries, picking apples that are working a hundred times harder than I am. Of course. And they um, of course, less than what you, what you make. That, and, and making less money as well. And I think um, there's not, there, there isn't a direct correlation between hours worked or hard work and even what is hard work, you know, like I, I'm in here in an air conditioned office and, uh, you know, I, right out my door, there's people fixing a road that are mm. working way harder than I am in, mm-hmm. in way worse conditions. Um, so I, that the goal for us was eventually, and, and with mental health, this is actually my desire for everybody whether you're fixing roads or running your own business or working for a big company is that everybody would be given the margin Mm -hmm. to have peace and calm and space in their life. So as an example, this call that you and I are on is the only Mm -hmm. meeting I have today. Mm. Tomorrow I have a meeting with an old friend Thursday, we have our staff meeting. Hmm. Friday, I'm recording another podcast. But And this is a busy week for me in terms of meetings. One meeting hmm. a day. Hmm. That is calm. There's space. I've, right. I've got... Um, I had a bad sleep two nights ago. Hmm. And I decided to sleep in. You know, I woke up <laughs> at four in the mor- morning, couldn't get back to sleep. Finally got back to sleep around seven. And I just slept until 11. Mm. space margin calm that's the that's the aim and uh this seems to be a feature uh that's only present or is primarily present in indie businesses Mm. where the founders have mindfully shaped the business to produce this kind of calm. Right. And this isn't just calm for John and I as co-founders. This is also calm that we want our employees to have as well. Sure. And um, I think we've accomplished that so far. Mm. And I think, uh, I hope that this is attainable for more people. What originally set me on this path was this old article I read in Fortune Magazine, I think, from the founders of a bread company. Mm -hmm. And it was called The Good Life and How to Get It. Uh, Yeah, I read this back in 2000 while I was still in college. It's about the founders of the Great Harvest Bread Company. You can find it on my blog if you search Justin Jackson and The Good Life. And this is the quote that really resonated with me. Mm. When all your choices are made with freedom and simplicity in mind, then freedom and simplicity is inevitable. Mm. And so this couple that started this bread company, which is a brick and mortar business, Mm -hmm. which is, uh, you know, you have all of the, you have equipment that's expensive. You have employees that are expensive. They, um, they, they purposefully shaped the business so that they 
in the beginning, in the early days, they always had a two-day weekend. Mm -hmm. And that combined, the two of them worked about 50 hours a week. So 25 hours each. Mm. And they didn't talk about work at home. So they set up these guardrails as they were building the business, as they were crafting the business, so that they didn't have to look like the trope of a business owner who's somebody working Mm. 60 to 80 hours a week and is always stressed and it always has lots to go and must fill up their calendar with a billion meetings to look important or whatever. You can just do it a different way. And um, it's been, again, there may be a time where I have to hustle again Mm -hmm. uh, like I did you know, in some of those early days, there's, there is a time to hustle. There's a time to sacrifice. There's a time to work hard. There's a time to grind, but you can't do that forever. Mm. And, um, I'm, I, 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 I really want people to know and feel how good it feels to have gone from being that person in my twenties, who was working 60 to 80 hours to, you know, trying to build a life like the one I have now, it feels so good. It's so (laughs) calm. It is, it, it's just the peace that I have, the space that I have to explore, to be mindful, to think about ideas, to engage in relationships, to be there for Mm. my kids, to be there for my friends, to, It's just a, a life with no margin is, is, is not, it's, it, you're just constantly running just to keep up. You're constantly treading water just to keep your head above water. It's not a good right. feeling, but right. when you have space in your life, you can, you know, I have a friend whose wife is going through a, a really hard medical thing mm. right now. And I was able to say, Hey, listen, I'm anytime you need me. You need mm. me to pick you up some food. You need to call me for three hours and talk. You need me to uh, bring over some beers and mm. you know just chat with you. You need me to watch the kids. I have space to do that, and um, that this life that I have right now is so good. <laughs> and I think you can, hopefully, I think I, I I think it's accessible to more people, and I that's what. I desire for them um, and uh, and for people to not always assume that a, a business owner has to be this person who's always busy, who's working hard, who's stressed out. Um, I, again, a lot of my founder friends who own indie businesses, especially who have bootstrapped, mm-hmm. they, you know, they might work three hours a day, like mm. actual like work. You know, like Mm. actual, I'm coding or actual whatever. Um, It doesn't, it's, it might, it's probably less than a lot of people think. (laughs) And um, I think that's a, I think that's a good thing. I think it's a good thing for us to kind of cultivate that kind of culture. Right. No, uh, for folks who are listening and who can see Justin's face, I can, I can. (laughs) 200% 200% can tell uh, the level of peace and calm in his in his voice, in his face. I feel like, you know, and bootstrapping in a way uh, 
makes you your own boss. You decide what to do. Mm-hmm. You decide like, you know, when to stop, when to kickstart, when to hustle. And that's yeah. like the, 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 the good thing about, you know, owning your own business and owning your own equity in your time and whatnot for yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I absolutely and, love. And by the way, it also doesn't mean that we're moving slow. Right. The, 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 the benefit of a small team is that a small team where everybody is putting in a good three, four hours of focused work a day mm. um, and doesn't have all of the other distractions of that can be involved in company life, we can ship really fast. We can yep. be, we can have a, a really nice release schedule um, that, you know, compared to our, our bigger competitors, mm. uh, our, 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 our pace is faster. So they're right. working harder. They've got more meetings. They've got more on the calendar. They're putting more hours in at the office, mm. but they're achieving less. Mm. There's not a direct correlation between hours at the office. I mean, the uh, patio 11's talked a lot about this in the, yeah. the, the Japanese uh, salary man um, culture where you're just mm. expected to be at the office for whatever, 12, 15 hours a day, right. but right. they're not expecting productivity. They're just expecting you to be there. Be there. Yeah. Uh, let's flip that around. Let's, <laughs> let's be productive when it counts right. and then let's have space in the margins to right. do everything else. Right. Yeah. Let, I love, I love that so many incredible takeaways, uh, in the last five minutes for founders who are especially like, you know, uh, bootstrapping and juggling between things. I love certain values you've told us right now. Let's kind of switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about, uh, the, the, your, your reason why you get into SaaS in the first place. When did you fall in Mm. love? When did you saw like, you know what, let me do this versus, you know, I don't want to go venture. I don't want to raise capital. I don't want Mm. that stress. When mm-hmm. was like the transition that happened? Like, you know what? This is it. Let me actually mm-hmm. go all in uh, into bootstrapping in uh, into SaaS. Yeah. I mean, it probably started because the first software company I worked for was this company called Mailout in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. It was a, like a MailChimp competitor mm-hmm. and they were bootstrapped. And I think my first week on the job, my boss sent me a copy of getting real by 37 signals and i read it in a evening and Mm. just every one of those essays was just i was just like it resonated so strongly with me Mm. like all of these principles um and you know some of it's quasi-religious you know (laughs) there's a there's a little (laughs) bit of cult around uh 37 signals base camp Um, right but there just those principles resonated with me so strongly. Mm. And, um, you know, since then, that was 2008. It took another 10 years before mm. I was able to launch uh, Transistor with John. And there was lots of steps in between. Um, right. But I think it was always there that, wow, these are great businesses. Mm. And... Uh, you can run a a business like this differently than the way mm. a lot of other people are running their businesses. 
And, you know, so Basecamp was an early model. Uh, Peldi at Balsamic was an early model. Right. Um, uh, Derek Sivers was an early model. These yeah, were all... MailChimp. Yeah, MailChimp. Yeah. Th- right. You know, these were all principled founders who, you know, self-funded these businesses. Hmm. And um, I... Th- there was just something about that ethos that really resonated. Mm. So yeah, it did take a while because I think, you know, actually starting a successful software business is not, it, there's a lot of things that have to align Mm. in order for it to work. Absolutely. And so, you know, in the in-between years, I was, in motion, just trying things out, just doing things the best I could, just, you know, um, iterating through different jobs and different ideas and different experiments. Uh, But then, you know, when Transistor came along, just a lot of things aligned. Mm. And um, it's not, it's not a crazy growth market. You know, podcasting has grown about 10, 15% a year for the last decade. Hmm. Um, there's, there's arguably, I think there's like 4.5 million podcasts or something, but there's arguably maybe a hundred to 150,000 that are actually in active production. Right. So the, the numbers are very low. I, there's probably something like, I don't know, 60 million, uh, Hmm. YouTube channels with more than 10 subscribers. And there's probably 500 million blogs Hmm. that are still being actively uh, you know, published on. So right. uh, podcasting by comparison is small, but it was a big enough opportunity. Mm. Uh, and it felt worth pursuing it because it aligned for John and I in so many other ways. It was like, there's right. enough demand here. There's enough people paying for podcast hosting. And, you know, uh, John had previously built a podcast hosting company. So that helped. I had been mm. podcasting since 2012. I was you know, I developed all these product and marketing skills. John was developed all these full stack <laughs> development skills. We had this network from a lifetime now, you know, decades in mm-hmm. tech. We had uh, audience, we had, um, and then just the podcasting itself resonated with us philosophically. Mm. It's slow technology. Right. It's mindful technology. It doesn't depend right. on ads and you know addicting people so they're scrolling all day uh you know it it doesn't it doesn't depend on an algorithm to uh, you know get people addicted and to to work you know it's it's just very slow mindful technology and um with all of those things in place right and you know we hit the timing there's just so many things you need to have hit yeah, right, but I know um, that it was enough for us to kind of build a company that made it work. I for love now, that. I love. Uh, yeah, you, you never know what's going to happen tomorrow, but for now, it's working. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Congrats on all all the you know all the persons converting all the personal experience into like a product and productizing it so that people like me, we are. I'm using Transistor, by the way. Shout out to you guys. You guys made made my life so easy on one tap <laughs> of a button. Again, this is not a sponsored thing, but I'm genuinely loving Transistor because with one tap of a button, you can distribute like, you know, 
to every uh, every po- possible podcast channel mm-hmm. out there and that's it and it's so mm-hmm. easy to use so intuitive you know it's it doesn't require like a lot of learnings and i i this is my first time ever doing podcasting and i'm just it it, it actually reduces the friction for me as a podcaster and that allowed me to like focus more on writing questions you know finding guests like interacting mm-hmm. with them having an authentic conversation earlier yeah. it used to be like you know i have to like go at least uh, there is there is an amount of friction you guys are taking away which you know i'm thankful for so congrats yeah. oh, and that, that's I'm so great to hear guys oh that's so great to hear i appreciate it and i appreciate you you uh giving us a chance and trying us out Absolutely. And and that and that feeds into the purpose part we talked about earlier, right? So if you right. can build something that mm. can give you a good life, that can create mm. the margin you want, um you you have this foundation to have this purpose of serving customers, of making mm. their lives better, of right. uh having them hire your product to do a job in their lives and for that and then for you to actually do the job well, you know? Right. That is so um just <laughs> wonderful it's just yeah. wonderful to have <laughs> that role in people's lives yeah. and and for me i'm a fan of podcasts so right. you know when you launched your show i was excited to hear it and mm. we have you know we have thousands of customers but it's the number is low enough that i can mm. still check out a lot of people's new shows Correct. and be a cheerleader and you know right. just um it's almost like i get as much joy from seeing other people podcasting and getting something out of it uh, right. as i would if i was podcasting myself you know it's just yeah. so um gratifying to mm. be involved that's in all that absolutely yeah. that's the word i think i i genuinely feel i genuinely want founders who are listening to this podcast you know feel what justin is you know feeling which is you genuinely have to care about your customers that's one other thing i really admire about you justin mm-hmm. two instances just for for this for the sake of this conversation is uh number one when i approached you i'm like trying transistor for the first time i i really asked like because i'm a i'm in the area of making podcasting as a hobby because i don't have like a ton of money mm-hmm. as a sponsorship and whatnot and you gracefully like instantly replied me with a with a code that's number one number two mm-hmm. is when i'm having some certain issues with the website you were right on top of it you were chatting with your team sending screenshots helping me even though technically it's not your headache you can just say you know what use it or you go find another website builder build your website and yeah. that to me is really important and that to me is really Uh, a lot of founders should do and i did it in in my uh, bootstrap product called shoutout is giving personal attention like one on one attention right mm-hmm. there when when a customer is asking or seeking help that mm-hmm. speaks volume of what you believe in and that speaks mm-hmm. like truly you know uh, you enjoy and take take pride in what you work at so yeah uh, i appreciate oh that's great appreciate to hear. you for both uh, both instances yeah i mean that, that this is actually an essay in getting real by 37 signals it's <laughs> uh you can't fake enthusiasm um, right so you you this is this is why you know when software developers are sometimes 
approach me with ideas and they're like, oh, I'm building an, uh, you know, an application for real estate, uh, real estate agents. Mm -hmm. And I would say, well, like, do you like real estate agents that much? <laughs> like, are you, do you like that industry that much? Do you really want to serve those people every single day? Uh, you want to, you want to answer their emails. You want to answer their support tickets. Like that gets you fired up. If it does go for it, yeah, but just go do it. Yep. You can't fake enthusiasm and that enthusiasm ends up being a competitive advantage. So, mm. you know, sometimes in a lot of these markets, you know, you're as an Absolutely. indie founder, especially you're going to like be trying to get to feature parity with whoever the big company is, or, you know, at least some level of feature parity. And people mm -hmm. will ask you, well, why should I go with you over somebody else? Mm. And sometimes my answer is just, I, I care more. Yeah. <laughs> we, we care more. Right. The, Absolutely. The, the CEO of that publicly traded company that you're thinking about going with is not answering support tickets Yep. at 11 yep. o'clock on a Friday night. I am. <laughs> I'm doing it. And yeah. uh, again, and I'm doing it with margin and calm and I'm not overworking mm -hmm. myself. With but, intention. Right. But we care. We just care. We're passionate. We're enthusiastic right. about this this whole category. It's why mm -hmm. I'm I'm also passionate about protecting it. I think there's a lot of big mega corporations that would love to own podcasting. And mm -hmm. I think they'd ruin it. I think they would ruin mm -hmm. what makes it so great. And so right. When you care like that, and yep. you know, people come to me also and say, "Hey, um, I really want to get advertisers for my podcast." Mm. And for me to care enough to say, "You know what? I haven't seen that work for most podcasters." You know what right. actually does work is having um, patrons, having monthly supporters, having people who you know pay you ten dollars a month to get a shout out at the end of every episode. That works. Right. And so to be honest with people and to steer them in the right direction and to help them avoid the pitfalls of, you know, hey, I'm going to join this network and they say they're going to give me X number of advertising dollars mm. and and just to be open with people and say, well, uh, here's the truth. Here's what I'm seeing. Here's, you right. know, because I care. I care about the category. I care about your show. I want you to have mm. success. And that's a competitive advantage for indies. Uh, Jason Cohen says this. Uh, he's the founder of WP Engine, a massive company now. But he says eh, that the truth is a lot of indie hackers mm -hmm. give way better support than big mm. multi-million, multi-billion dollar companies because the founder right. cares. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and if you are not in a place to care that much, I mean, that's where... You know, in the early days of Transistor, I was grinding hard. It was like mm. I'm I'm making money in other places in my life, but then I'm contributing all this energy and time to Transistor, and right. it was unhealthy in the sense that it wasn't sustainable for a long period of time. Right. But those early wins, they they're still that care, mm. that enthusiasm, caring more than the competition. It's right. still paying dividends today. Um, I had someone Absolutely. from a, a big magazine, like big, big magazine, who's they're launching their their first podcast program, hmm. and they wanted to talk to me at this conference I was at, and I was like, "Why are you approaching us? Like we're we're too small <laughs> for you guys." 
And she said, well, when I was, I was working for this, um, this documentary company right when you started and mm. I reached out to you on instant on, on the chat and you answered right away and it really helped me out. Even though I wasn't a customer, mm. I've yep. never forgotten it. She said, yep. and so this is the key. Yeah, this yeah. is this is where we can be competitive as indie makers is we can just care more. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I think I think customer support, customer service should be on top of featured list. Like yes. everything else is of course is you know is an added bonus. Uh you're, yes. you're trying to solve a problem, you're saving time, you're saving effort, money, yada yada yada, all that shit is good. Yeah. But I think for every founder, for every product customer service is like the number one uh, feature that you offer, like 24 by seven support and, you know, yes, support tickets absolutely. and whatnot. And I think uh, that, that, that care is what people sense and they, they become loyalists and they become, you know, adopters to loyalists, like, the, you know, they, they stick with you forever. Right. Yeah. And that's the advantage of uh, being a, being an indie hacker is you, you wipe up another product, and you just like launch another landing page with another idea, the ones who use your previous product will actually come join your next product because they love you, not the product, you know, as, yeah. as a founder. Uh, yeah. That's a massive, yeah. massive advantage. And just yeah. just like, uh, uh, just to switch gears a little bit on, do you want to pick your brain on a couple of things? One is you write a sure. lot and you podcast a lot. Mm -hmm. How do you come up with ideas, you know? What's your process looks like? Uh, most ideas these days come from listening to podcasts. I'll, I'll mm. be listening to something and it'll, something will kind of pique my interest. I'll write yeah. down notes in Apple notes. Um, and then for me, I'm, I would actually like to dedicate more time to being a better writer because I think mm. most of the stuff I end up publishing is okay. Um, mm. But at least the the benefit is <laughs> if I if I get inspired by something, if I'm if I kind of jump on that inspiration before it kind of runs out, um, mm. uh, that's generally the way I publish most of my stuff, and mm. um, that's where most of my ideas come from is just hearing something on a podcast, seeing something in a tweet, reading something, reading a book about something. Mm. Um, experiencing something in my own life, having a conversation right. with somebody. Right. And, um, I like, you know, I like a lot of this advice of writing, like writing a uh, newsletter, an article as if you're writing to one person, I think that can be effective. Yeah. Yeah. I think also just being fired up about something and being like, mm. I'm going to, I'm going to chase this down and mm. get it out of my system yep. is helpful. And, um, the nice thing now is like, I used to have to write and tweet and podcast as a way of making my primary, a primary way of making a living, you know, um, mm. I did that for a while where I was, you know, whether it was my, my membership site, Me Mega Maker right. or, yeah. um, advertising on my other podcast or selling a course or getting right. invited to speak at conferences. Right. It's been nice to not have to do speaking, uh, writing and podcasting, um, with the, with the ultimate aim of, of earning a living. Um, right. 
I think it's been freeing because now I can, I can write and, and talk about things that are actually not that popular. <laughs> and, uh, but, but I'm, I'm able to chase down my curiosity on right. that stuff and, and yeah. explore things that I think are meaningful. So right. my, my tweets and articles about mental health are not as popular as my bootstrapping articles. My tweets mm. and articles and podcasts about climate change are not as popular. Uh, my critiques of Elon Musk are not as popular. But <laughs> uh, these are these are meaningful topics for me right. that um, where I get inspired, something mm. hits me, and I go, mm. I got to talk about this. This is important. Right. You know, right. um, yeah. and so yeah, you, ideas you, come you back from there too. Yeah, you basically have to consume to create. You know, in a way, that's one thing. Uh, yeah, you know, I, 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 I kind of make it as a habit is like consume great content so that you can create great content for yourself yeah. and maybe yeah. like, you know, one other person because. Because everything is just a reaction to something else. We're yeah. human beings, like we're just bouncing off, you know, you're creating art or writing or whatever, you're bouncing off something. Um, yep. And so the, this is why I think podcasting is such a cool, especially shows like this, where you're mm. bouncing off each other. It, right. it, it, I, if I can react to your question, then it, it generates new thoughts. It generates, you know, uh, it helps me put together existing things I've already experienced and researched. Right. This is kind of how it all happens. And so uh, I think most good writing, good podcasting, good content is a reaction to something. Mm, it's like, correct. whoa, I just found out this cool new way to write CSS. So you're reacting to something, right? You're reacting Absolutely. to this discovery. Whoa, right. I really disagree with the way that Elon <laughs> Musk is, uh, uh, you know, uh, carrying on in public. Okay, well, mm. I should write about that. That's a reaction. Right. Um, I, I yep. think that the, the, the kind of bad writing is the stuff that isn't really, it, it is like the uninspired non-reaction where you're just yeah. kind of writing for writing's sake or you're just, or, you know. Or you're, you're basically like following a trend. You know, which is, or fo uh, yeah, following a trend, yeah, yeah. I think I I prefer following curiosity more than a trend because at the end of the day, you really love what you put out uh, as, mm -hmm. as as your work, you what you produce, what you create. You'll be proud of yourself. Yeah. Or you have to if you find a trend, you again are tagging to expectations. Like, do people like it? Am I writing to live up to yeah. other people's expectation, or am I satisfying them or pleasing them? then it's not yeah. fun it's 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 work it's, it's kind of like you're you're putting in a in a in a position where you'll give up uh the thing you started so i i, yeah. I love i love i love what you said I, about I, consuming uh yeah yeah i think you're right i think you got to consume you got to be reading interesting books i, I think also you got to be um so consuming is part of it but you also have to be doing interesting things Mm -hmm. So yep. that the, the, the most popular stuff I've written, I mean, some of the most popular stuff I've written is based on experiences I have had mm. where, um, oh, sometimes yes. it's, Absolutely sometimes true. it's visiting a interesting place or going to a conference, but there's some stuff that's just like when John and I were bootstrapping transistor, I stopped drinking for 
two, three years, I think. Mm. And um, that article, uh, I think it's just based on my experience of stopping <laughs> drinking. Uh, and mm. I think it's called non-alcoholic drinks. You can order at a bar or something. Um, <laughs> it, me sharing that experience and then, you know, giving a list of kind of the discoveries I made, uh, that's the most searched blog post on my site, I think, is just mm. people looking for, you know, non-alcoholic drinks. Right. But that was that was the product of me doing something interesting, which was I'm right. going to stop drinking for whatever right. it was two three years. Yeah, yeah. So it's consuming, but then you're also you got to be doing some things too. You got to be Absolutely. experimenting, yeah. trying True. things, and then yeah. sharing your experience. Yeah, you're you're absolutely right. Love love that. Uh, all right, I think you know, Justin, you you and I, we know we can go on and on. We love podcasting. We, we... <laughs> Seems like there is there is good chemistry between us. Uh, yes, but you know I want to be mindful with your time as well as the listeners' time. So I have yep. this segment called Rapid Fire Five, where I ask like five, like really really uh, interesting questions. Uh, but okay. yeah, let's go. Just like, right. whatever comes to your mind, just shoot it out. Okay. Okay. First question: uh, Which podcast are you listening to these days? You're hooked to. I listen to a lot of bootstrapping podcasts where it's two people just sharing their weekly update. I really like mm. uh, Bootstrapped Web with Brian Castle and Jordan Gall. Nice. Love that. And by the way, everything Justin mentioned from a resources standpoint, I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, question two, one growth tip you want to suggest to SaaS founders who are just getting started? Oh yeah. The, well, the number one growth tip is that 99% of your growth is going to be from choosing the right idea in the right market. So mm -hmm. look for the right market first. That's going to, mm -hmm. that's going to provide so much of the fuel of the energy is just picking a market where there's some sort of momentum. It doesn't mm -hmm. have to be like a massive, massive industry, but it, there needs to be at least the possibility of hundreds of thousands of cu potential customers, right? Mm. So choose the Love right that. market. And that's the number one way to grow. <laughs> Most of the momentum <laughs> is in the market. It's not right. in the marketing tactics that you're going to apply. You can apply the same tactics in different markets and get wildly different results. And that is a result of momentum in the market. It's not what you do uh, in terms of Love marketing that. tactics. It's choosing the right market first. Right. Love that. Uh, if you want to give a shout out to a podcast host you're loving, who would that be? Mm. I I really like the gals at Software Social. Um, nice. They're um, Michelle and Colleen. It's just a wonderful show. It's in that same genre of two bootstrappers talking to each other. Mm. But they have a different tone that I really enjoy. Um, it's really, it's a refreshing take on that format. I nice. highly recommend it. Love that. Love that. Uh, what are you reading currently? A book or it can be an article? Yeah. Uh, the folks at Every suggested this book called The Metaphors That Make Us. Um, oh, nice. So I'm, I think that's what it's called. The Metaphors We Live By. Sorry. Uh, I'm reading mm. that, which is it's, it's interesting. It's a, a, kind of a book about linguistics, but mm. I'm, I am enjoying it. And then on Audible, I'm listening to this history book. Let's see oh, if I can nice. remember what it's called. 
uh, uh, where is it? History book. The, That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's economic history, uh, slouching, slouching towards utopia, an economic history of the 20th century. Oh. Um, really enjoying it. I, I listened to the interview with uh, the author Brad DeLong on the Every mm. Podcast and bought the book, and it's fascinating. If you want to, if you want to give yourself a context for mm. <laughs> for how the history of kind of capitalism worked, why mm. we are here today, give yourself a sense right. of why things work the way they work. Uh, slouching towards utopia is really good, and the audiobook's pretty good. Yeah, adding to my wish list. Uh, last question: What's your favorite favorite uh, pastime as a dad? <laughs> oh, as a dad. <laughs> oh man, it changes now. My kids are all. Um... Um, let, let, let me let me ask you this: What's your favorite pastime with each kid? You have like four of them. What yeah. Do you do with the. Uh... I mean, all sorts of things. To to be honest, one thing that's been true for all of them uh, that is just wonderful is just uh, taking a car ride with just one kid at a time. So just <laughs> honestly, just like picking them up from whatever activity they were doing. And right. then you have this opportunity to, they share the music they're listening with. Sometimes mm. you're just driving along for five minutes and no one's saying anything. And then all of a sudden the 14 year old will say, ask me a question about something. And oh. those moments are so wonderful. They're just, mm. uh, they're simple that, and, Often when you have a big family, there's just a lot of noise and a lot of competition right. for attention. But just a car ride, just picking up one kid and being <laughs> able to give them all your attention. Right. Enjoying yeah. being in their presence, enjoying right. the music they're listening to and getting right. any sort of, you know, a lot of times, especially our boys, they're pretty quiet. <laughs> but, you, you know, if you give them time, just a couple minutes of silence, their brains are going. And then they'll right. ask you about something. And it's just so fun to have right. these, these humans that are almost adults <laughs> that are thinking through all this stuff and right. exploring all sorts of things and, you know, hearing their perspective. They have perspectives. They have their own opinions. Well, yeah, of course. Uh, they have personas. They have their own characters. Oh, yeah. Uh, or, and also them giving me a little... Um, peek into their world like mm. how does their world operate this world where you're dming on snapchat and then <laughs> a lot of your social life is in discord groups and right it's it's just interesting to me how does this I work know. these days yeah. you know yeah um yeah. so i i yeah. really like that uh, i'll Love add that. one more which is I, I was thinking back in my life some of the most meaningful moments are when my parents introduced me to other adults that mm. um, could then, uh, you know, mentor me or, you know, uh, answer my questions or maybe I was, I was really into computers. And so my parents introduced me to this fellow that worked at the university who gave me access to the internet before mm. the web even existed back in wow. 91. And, um, I've tried to do that with my own kids too, is to introduce them to Love really that. cool adults that are doing cool things 
you know, I'll go for brunch with my friend who's a data scientist and I'll invite my 14 year old mm. along uh, just so nice. he can be there in the same place. I, I run a that. meetup called Geek Beers and oh, we wow. do it at a pub. <laughs> You're allowed to be underage and be at a pub here in BC. And so my 17 year old has come and just sat with all these other nerds and geeks in the tech industry. <laughs> and I've been able to engage with them and explore questions about mathematics that. and programming yeah. and all sorts of stuff. Yeah. So I think those two I things bring me so much joy. Yeah. For, for some reason, even, I, I, I don't know, I have a 15 month old uh, toddler. He oh. loves <laughs> car rides. He just loves he sings, yes. you know, when he, when I pick him up from daycare, he sings like, or he learns something at daycare and he like replicates with me. Most of the time, I don't understand what he's babbling, but I just go with yeah. him and he loves oh. it. Like, because we're giving him the one-on-one, -on -one, like undivided attention. So yeah, uh, I can it's kind wonderful. of relate. Yeah. I can relate to what you're saying about the, the pastime. <laughs> yeah. It's wonderful. It's enjoy all those moments. They're, they're so special. Um, right. especially once they grow up, you realize how special they are. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. This, this, this has been a blast, Justin, you know what? I, mm -hmm. I, I enjoyed each one of minute of your, uh, your ideas, your principles, your beliefs as a founder, as a dad, and, you know, as a human being in general, right. And thanks for being so authentic, so transparent and, you know, being you yourself, you know, which, which I love about, uh, like people like you who are, who are just like themselves, no pressure, nothing talked from yeah. their heart. So love, love this conversation, Justin. And thanks for, you know, uh, being on the show. Appreciate oh, it was it. a, it was a pleasure to be here. This is great. Let's do it again sometime. Absolutely. Yeah. We should bring you back again, you know, uh, sometime next year. <laughs> Sounds All good. Right. All right. Cheers guys. Thanks for listening.